a particular set of skills in honor of memory, which is Liam Neeson movie. That's why the joke's funny. Who is your favorite it man of cinema? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Steve Buscemi and Fargo, both because I think I haven't seen that many Hitman movies, it turns out, and then also The Wood Chipper. Hey, it's me, Dave Gonzalez, because Patches is still out. I'm going to pick The Bride from Kill Bill because she keeps coming back from being close to dead and might be unkillable, plus Five Finger Death Punch. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to throw it old school and go with Joe Shishido in Saijin Suzuki's Branded to Kill, truly one of, if not the coolest movies ever made highly recommend you check it out very classy take that leon the <laughs> professional gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room fine i can hear you now dimitri clear and plain and coming through fine i'm coming through fine too eh good then well then as you say we're both coming through fine good well it's good that you're fine then and i'm fine i agree with you it's great to be fine Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. This episode 390. It is pandemic 110. That makes it even 500, I guess. (laughs) That that doesn't mean anything, but there you go. It does feel like we've been living two years simultaneously at once for the past 110 (laughs) weeks. That's true. This is uh, what I have learned while trying to pick up watching Barry again and not remembering anything that happened on (laughs) Barry when it ended three years ago. Uh, Tangent. Speaking of Hitman. Um, it's the week of Wednesday, April 27th. That's the day that in 1981, Paul McCartney's solo band Wings broke up. No! I definitely thought Wings made it further into the 80s for some reason. I don't know what I am basing that knowledge on. Um, we're still missing Matt Patches. Uh, he is busy uh, cooking and eating a shoe um, and maybe taking care of his baby. Also, um, but I hope we have reviews. I think we have reviews we saved from last week, right? Well, Katie, I don't know how you want to play this. We certainly don't have any new reviews, which by the bylaws of Fighting in the War Room should entitle Dave and I to talk about Star Wars (laughs) Galaxy of Heroes. Uh, I don't know if any sort of holdover reviews you may be referring to, none that I remember. uh, I've got got an email review for sure. But did did the email, Dave, and check the postmark, come in in the last seven days? No. Well, don't forget that you got to talk about Elden Ring last week. I mean, that is not the same thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, these are you know, completely different situations. Well, let's do the uh, review here before we, before we punish people, because I get why, Excellent. because we do need algorithm punishments. The whole point of a punishment is to get you to help us on the algorithm. So here we go. Uh, yeah. This one is emailed to us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, which is for the international listeners. But this person, Brad, uh, just needed some tech help. I know this email is supposed to be for international listeners, but by golly, I can't seem to figure out any other way to leave you all a review. I swore I left one in August of 2020, but Apple might have removed it due to a censored swear, and now I can't seem to figure out how to leave a review on Apple's god-awful podcast app. So here we are now. I came to the podcast. (laughs) I came to the podcast at the very start of the pandemic. In fact, I think the first episode I ever listened to is the one where you all discussed South by Southwest getting canceled with uh, Eric Bespey on. That was Mm -hmm. I remember that one. Mm Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say this is my favorite podcast. I love the breadth of media you cover with a diversity of opinions week to week. I love when you all get goofy and giggly, and I also love it when you get serious and earnest. I love the music breaks between segments, and I love the lightning around at the start of each episode. I love you guys. Never change. Oh. Yeah. What a great email. Yeah, I wish it was on a public platform to, uh, to get other people to love us, uh, but that was playful. I love the idea of the pandemic starting and being like, I need a new podcast. 
<laughs> and it need need new obsessive podcasts they're gonna post week to week even if there's nothing to talk about that's us fighting in the war room uh so i guess i'm gonna try to keep this structured david how's star wars galaxy of heroes going well in breaking news from the world of star wars galaxy of heroes from my corner of the galaxy i <clears throat> your humble host your reigning elden lord came in first place in last week's uh, what GAC. the fuck is it called? <laughs> the Grand Arena Championships. Uh, I cannot tell you how little I actually pay attention to the comings and goings of this stupid fucking game. I just need something to like plink my thumbs at in the morning. Um, I couldn't tell you the first thing about any what any of these things mean or what they are called. But I do. You know, used to be able to, my friend. You used no, to. No, I never. I never really could. I still don't even really know the characters' names. I I do. Uh, I'm just sort of addicted to steadily building my my forces but uh i do know thanks to a little in-game email function the only email that i can still check without getting a headache that i came in first place uh in last week's uh, because i do the grand arena championships now in groups of eight rather than this like big swarm of people where the placings are kind of arbitrary and hard to follow now it's kind of a round robin over the course of six days between eight people uh came in first not a big deal but kind of a big deal uh what does it mean for me i don't know maybe i'll be one step closer to getting that weird variant of luke skywalker who keeps eluding me because i need all those fucking dark side robots and for whatever reason the uh night sister to lead them and they have like, no <laughs> synergies dave knows I, what i'm talking about dave i know what you're doing? talking about i'm doing okay i'm on the sith eternal uh grind my gac hasn't been doing that well because sith eternal grind doesn't make be- great individual teams and because I still got a six-star gas, but man, when he gets seven stars, uh, that's General Anakin Skywalker for those casuals. Uh, I'm so gonna, lonely no doing, this without pa- doing this without patches so hard, you guys. So hard. <laughs> all right, I'll wrap it up. That's what I'm doing. It's going to take me a couple more months. Probably next time you hear from me, maybe I'll be close to unlocking. You know how long Sith Eternal takes. Or you please, know, and you're happy. Just to end Leave this us segment, reviews, please. We'll end this segment just by saying, where's my Droideka Disney Plus show? Slash, where's my Droid uh, Decca relic level? I still have one, one little artifact away or whatever the hell it's called. But yeah, Droid Decca Disney Plus 2023. Make it happen. On to the show. I don't think Disney can respond to your demands unless you're calling them groomers these days. That's the, um, <laughs> that's the, the shit show there. I will take you to court in Florida. <laughs> oh, God. It's a fate worse than death. <laughs> So as some of you, all of you, none of you, I don't know, may have heard, last week Netflix had a uh, cold awakening, a brutal uh, return to reality when it turned out that they missed their Subscribe. They lost subscribers. Actually, they lost several. I think several hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah. Two million. What was the number? I think several, it's several hundred, hundred thousand. thousand. For the first time in eleven years, uh, and they are projected to lose even more next quarter. And the stock market, usually the chillest of all markets, uh, especially these days, decided to go absolutely haywire, and uh, their stock dropped something like thirty-five percent. And they lost a shit ton of market share and money. Um, and not that all these companies aren't just completely made out of fairy dust these days and debt, uh, which is more or less the same thing. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, suddenly it seemed like 
you know, the glory days, the golden era of streaming, or at least working for streaming companies and having a bottomless piggy bank uh, to, from which to produce content has suddenly dried up and come to an end. Reality is set in. There's competition across the streaming space. Uh, the Netflix's jacked up price point may suddenly be too much of a turnoff for a large portion of their, uh, their audience. Uh, yes, they did lose a number of subscribers, perhaps temporarily because they pulled out of Russia, but there were other losses in addition to that. And they um, predict losing at, even more next quarter. Yes, they do. Um, in addition to that, uh, I was announced maybe the same day or certainly, or at least earlier the same week that another <clears> raft <throat> of Netflix films uh, was coming to the Criterion Collection where it would have a happy home in perpetuity, or at least, you know, for as long as Criterion's rental agreement, licensing agreement exists. Um, I think Okja, Bong Joon-ho's film, was the, the latest Netflix title to be released uh, on physical media or announced to be released on physical media. And uh, the week before that, I had gone down to the Alma Draft House, the new location in Manhattan, and seen the semi-glorious return of Kim's video. It felt <laughs> to me like nature was truly healing. Um, and I, I, I was like, and we were slowly Benjamin button, Benjamin buttoning back in time. We, we um, really did make it 2004 by science or magic. We did it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while that may not entirely be the case, it, it did feel like there is some truth to the idea of the streaming bubble. I don't know about popping, but coming back down to earth a little bit um, for better and, and possibly for worse. It may negatively impact the kind of things that Netflix is willing to spend on in the, the content war. Um, Apple TV still going full stream ahead on basically whatever they want. A trillion dollar company. They can get away with that. But, but they also make um, far less stuff than Netflix. They do. Um, and, you know, now we're in the middle of CinemaCon and the worm has turned a little bit. I mean, I, it might be overstating the case to say that the theater owners now have all the leverage to be overstating the case a lot. But, uh, you know, they have a little bit more of a bargaining chip as it seems to become uh, more important for individual pieces of content or movies, as we used to call them, to actually make an impression in the public and not just, you know, splash down uh, in the annals of your Netflix queue um, and theaters can play a big role in that. So my question to the group and really just as a conversation topic with no particularly pointed queries is, did it feel like a sea change? And do you see the sea change being at all, there being any silver lining to it? Because typically, I mean, I, you know, Netflix's success has always been a double-edged sword, but, um, you know, the failure or the failure, the, the, the climate change in Netflix may not necessarily be to the gain of cinema independent or the studio level i mean it may just be bad all around so do you see a silver lining to this uh how do you see this playing out and how do you think netflix is going to accommodate for their new reality i would appreciate the silver lining of them sending me fewer 20 pound uh, coffee table books i didn't mm -hmm. ask for sure. and uh, must have cost an absolute fortune to send to me uh if those well, Katie, continue coming think, I, mean, I will know they learn nothing on a serious note do you think that this is going to impact their approach to award season and not just the swag material and the ridiculous <clears throat> spend they make on that every year, but their overall sort of philosophy about trying to win that elusive Oscar. Yeah. I mean, that's the big question and the scary one for me, who my livelihood is a lot is tied to people wanting to spend money on campaigns and a lot of studios spending a ton of money to keep up with Netflix, which was spending a ton of money. You know, we, I think we surely have talked about how they inflated Sundance to a degree that people were paying crazy prices to try to beat Netflix to get whatever they did. And part of how Coda went for $25 million, I'm sure it was part of that. 
Um, so I think there's there's plenty of elements. And this is what you were saying, too, David, about like if it's going to hurt the movies that they're making and, and who's willing to like really splash out for that kind of thing, because a lot of places are spending a lot of money on television, um, you know, to make the next Stranger Things or whatever. But not that many places are spending 80 million dollars to make the harder they fall. Um, and I think there's a there's a very valid question about if Netflix scales back on that, who's going to fill that gap? That part yeah. feels scary to me. Uh, well, unless theater owners really do have the chip that David's talking about and that the one that they're, you know, trying to build back up. But if you need to open something, even if it opens mediocrely, if that's better than opening on Netflix, then maybe we get a little bit of creep of non-blockbuster things back in the cinema. That's a really positive spin. But I feel <laughs> like, you know, maybe something like Palm Springs, if it had come out in like a February that wasn't pandemic thing, could have could have been a big enough splash to well, make everything... up for its purchase. Everything Everywhere All at Once is doing that right now. You know, I mean, the fact yes. that it's like basically a masterpiece is certainly helping. So they just make a bunch of those every year. Um, but the the smaller movie model is playing out right in front of us right now. We are uh, on the other side of the first weekend in more than two years when four movies made more than $10 million at the box office. Wow. Uh, for the past two years when the box office has been open, it's been uh, whatever success there has has usually been hogged by one mega movie that was making $140 million or whatever the case might be. So the spread um, and could have been more. I mean, these movies were eating into each other's audiences. But uh, the fact that there were still enough people to sort of be the, the rising tide that lifts all these ships to at least moderate sea levels was really encouraging. And those were, you know, we're talking about movies like The Northmen, um, Everything Everywhere, all, Everything Everywhere and All the Ones actually did not make $10 million last week. And it's doing just fine. It's going to be yeah. the fourth highest grossing movie in A24 history um, very soon and may even be able to climb higher than that. Uh, but there were yeah i mean so like that is another sign uh points to stability and it's always been true that the, the headlines about the death of movies you know which have existed for more than 100 years but certainly in the streaming variety feels like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy everyone um you know racing to conclusions and moving goalposts and so on uh and this does feel a little bit like the ship writing itself but um i do think that yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Netflix wouldn't spend $80 million on as many movies anymore. Um, certainly the $100-plus million that they spend on you know disposable bullshit like Red Notice seems to be paying off for them just based on their metrics of view hours and whatnot. But I, I, I would guess hope, so, but if their entire I business mean, model is built on, on, on like exponential growth of subscribers forever, well, like that you know, exactly. doesn't pay so off. The, the core, the, the the core of the matter is that movie audiences, you're going to the movies, are renewable. They renew, you know, whenever a showtime ends. Um, but the subscriber rate that a company like Netflix depends on is not. There is simply not. Eventually, you're going to have every single person on earth who is interested and capable of, of subscribing to Netflix on board, and there isn't a rate to expand from there. And I think they've approached something like that. Didn't seem to build it into the business plan. I mean, the exponential growth. It was not going to be sustainable forever. Um, and so this may come crashing down to earth. My hope as a critic who has to deal with every new release is a direct threat to my time. That is mm. that they will focus a little bit more year round on the kind of quality that they are able to shore up around award season um, and not just fill the uh, queue with with wall to wall junk. Um, but then again, wall to wall junk as disposable as it might be, does occasionally take off and seems to be what they pride themselves on just because it's all about volume. So I think it's hard to know how it's going to play out um, 
And but, you know, the investment they tend to make on TV shows, which seem to be a more prudent one, has made a lot of people deeply unhappy because most Netflix shows now are canceled after the first or second season. Uh, Mm -hmm. And which is, uh, you know, partially because they don't want to spend the money on escalating contract prices with their cast and crew. Well, and and also they've already got the subscribers who want to watch those shows. So they need to find new ones, which is nuts. Whereas, you know, it would cost them a penny relative to their other projects to have made a third season of The Babysitter's Club mm-hmm. um, and would have made Katie Rich very happy. This is all the but, wrath of The Babysitter's Club. That was the... Yeah, that but was they the, already had you on board, so... They, they canceled The Babysitter's Club they, and lost hundreds of thousands of subscribers. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? People are very fickle. When Elon Musk took over Twitter yesterday, uh, or, you know, at least it's going to be a while before he takes it over, but clinched buying it. Uh, many of us lost hundreds of followers overnight. I mean, there were so many people who how just... How do you know uh, when you've lost a lot of... Do you just have to, like, know how many followers you had and then go back and look at the number? Like, I only there something that shows you? because I saw, I saw these stories about people losing all these followers, and I checked, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is less than it used to be, and I sort of kept on living my life. But it was interesting to me that enough people organically, as Twitter, like the comms department of Twitter seemed to suggest today, that this wasn't, like, a glitch or bots being canceled. Enough people organically saw that news and decided, peace, I'm out. And I think it's a wake-up call in a way to the companies like Netflix who can't take their subscribers for granted. Um, And password sharing crackdowns are not going to be the answer. But I I also hope that it is a a wake-up call to people, to the industry at large, that, you know, putting all your chips in one market, in one company, in one way of viewing things is not going to pan out. And that, it behooves everybody to, um, you know, think of it as trickling down to streaming and, and to, to think a little bit more about theatrical and really just like the, the quality of the things you're putting out to the world because people have more options now. We have, in essence, reinvented cable with all the streaming platforms that we have. Now we just pay a fortune for them as opposed to a slightly smaller fortune that cable costs. Um, and some of us, for reasons that I can't entirely figure out, pay uh, both fortunes, even though we have no money. Um, So, but I think, uh, you know, hopefully this will breed a healthy and good competition and not let Netflix get away with turning out crap like this god-awful Marilyn Monroe documentary that I had to review this week or the similarly bad Abercrombie and Fitch one I had to review last week. But time will tell. I mean, that's like all well and good. And I think it's in terms of movie strategy that makes sense. I'm interested in how, like, is this the end of the series dropping all at once like as netflix's loss of subscribers and treatment of tv shows and slow petering out of stranger things over a third of my lifetime it feels like um (laughs) going to be like this one time in television we thought it could be streaming we'd give you a whole season in one day and it would have legs for like months and now as netflix is realizing it's been cutting its legs out from under itself on everything and it can't, I think it I, can't hold a meaningful place in the conversation without sending Katie Rich a mailer every week so she talks about it on a podcast. <laughs> I, I have been <laughs> That's why we're talking about Netflix mind. right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been of that mind, and we have talked about it on this very podcast, that it seemed like the binge model was on the way out. I think it works for dating reality shows, which are something that I still prize Netflix for making as well as they have been recently. Um, shout out to, uh, to Ultim- The Ultimatum and Love is Blind. Um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, a show like Severance, Better Call Saul or any, I mean, Better Severance is maybe a better example because it's on a streaming platform is, is a prime example of how the slow build, you know, behooves well-made television, um, 
And I think it'll be, I think it might be, and Dave, this is maybe a question I'll give to you. If you think it would be too much of a tail between their legs or treat, if they backed away from the all at once model with their, their most sort of uh, zeitgeisty sci-fi shows like stranger things and the witcher, uh, if they have to just save face by continuing to um, abide by that old model, or if the writing is so on the wall that, you think it would be better for them to to tease it out and switch gears? I mean, gears? I think it is, uh, ironically, since he used that turn of phrase, a lot more about, like, the writing. Like, Netflix has changed the way that episodic television is written, because if you're writing something to be bulk-dropped like that, that's where we get the idea that Netflix series have, like, this soggy middle that, like, always slows down because they're building off an algorithm that is based on a binge model. Which has always been how it works. I mean, basically, we built television into acts so we could have commercial breaks. And so there are all these dramatic climaxes every 12 minutes so we could feed some commercials. Like, my my heart goes out to when Netflix realizes it needs commercials, uh, the person that is paid not enough money to figure out where the commercials are in Stranger Things. Whew. Watching something on Hulu with <sighs> commercials sucks. So yeah. uh, I, I but- know that that's coming. Paramount Plus has Picard, which is a streaming show, and it has act breaks built in because there's a version of that program that does have commercials, and so they but figure it, just right to that. I mean, it's also while I share Dave's sympathies for the person who has to cut that into... I mean, this is something that people have done on TV for years, cutting commercials into movies, for example, that weren't made with commercial breaks. I mean, you just do like this, the quick fade out when someone stops talking. Um, but the... Uh, you know, the, the Netflix has been sort of shipping into the viewing experience for years, whether it's, you know, skipping opening sequences or, or cutting away the credits, which is something they do even now, even on press titles, by the way, if you watch something on their, on their, uh, on your Netflix and you type <laughs> Would in your you like code to, skip to watch the credits? screener. If you don't watch it, nobody else will. Cause you're supposed <laughs> to be fucking covering it. It's <laughs> wild. You have to make an extra click just to see the end credits. But I mean, I think they have sort of, um, tampered with the viewing experience to a degree that. I would imagine that most people who watch Netflix casually are not going to be super challenged by commercial breaks. It's like part of my brain is like, oh, it's a ploy to make people see how miserable commercials are after they haven't had them for a while and encourage them to pony up and spend an extra couple of dollars a month for the ad free model. But I also think that, you know, Netflix has, has perverted the viewing experience to the point that most people will be like, OK, this is just another thing I have to deal with. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I mean, they're I, yeah. just gonna have to go back and like retcon it. I mean, I'm I have Pluto TV like everybody else, so I see commercials cut into weird shit all the time. But I I do think that in terms of like their television, it's just it seems very odd that if you were to ask me in like 2007 where it was all going, I'm like media everywhere, no cable, a la carte things, and then we got here and everyone's like, well, what if we went back a little bit? What if the idea was ad-supported TV and theatrically released movies? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, but that's the, the thing with, with all this shit. I mean, we see it play out in the tech world all the time. Uh, and we were just talking about reinvented cable and so on. I mean, it's like we were so in a race to disrupt and innovate, you know, innovate, innovate, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, to, uh, to break shit. What is, that? what is it they say in the Move social network? Move fast and break things. Move fast and oh, break shit. I don't know. Shit. I don't know if they say that in the uh No, I think order. that is what the, the line is. Um, something along those lines anyway, that they didn't, you know, they sort of took for granted the things that worked. Um, you know, there was this idea that there was money in change, even if that money was kind of fictitious uh, and theoretical. And 
now, you know, while people were able to cash out large sums in the, all the while. And now we just make TV shows about how that was all a scam and are slowly <laughs> reverting back to uh, a model that made a little bit more sense. Um, and, you know, we should learn something from that, but we won't. Uh, so we'll see what well, happens. I but mean, having covered We Crashed and um, the dropout and all these shows on So Watching, which Dave was editing, um, <clears throat> the entire idea that you build a company by spending a ton of money and you never make any money, but you're like, well, we'll make money eventually. It's fine. Uh, felt so insane to me. And that's exactly what Netflix has been doing. And it still feels insane. And you just imagine all these studios being like, we had to fucking make money, like actual money this whole time. And you guys did it. Fuck you. Yeah, and now, yeah. now those chickens yeah. have come home. You know I mean, what? It's so funny you that... can have Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny that, first of all, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on, you know, no Adam Sandler talk trash talk right now because we are getting into a period where he could be in another good movie. And that movie is made for Netflix. It's a really interesting situation. It's the third movie is ever made with his offshoot of Happy Madison that only makes semi-serious movies like Rain Over Me and Funny People. Um, so any, we'll see how that goes. It's about a basketball agent. Anyway, getting oh, off track. Oh, I remember but, seeing um, that. Uh, wait, who's it? Is it Jonah Hill who's in that with him or is that a different one? No. Um, I remember seeing this in that big uh, Netflix trailer that came out a couple months ago. It's called ago. Hustle, I want to say. Yeah, it's called Who's Hustle. Who's in it, it with him? Jonah Hill's in a different ben Foster basketball and Queen La- Ben Foster and Queen Latifah. And it's directed by Jeremiah, Jeremiah Zagar of, um, of We the Animals fame. Well, so um, that could be really interesting. But uh, anyway... What the fuck was I saying before we got excited into? <laughs> I don't know. Dave no, you were saying something Adam about. Oh no, no, no yeah, no. It was about, funny. It was about funny. Spending um, a ton of money and never making money. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was funny because this is happening during CinemaCon. You know, with with uh, WB going out on their panel and being able to celebrate that the Batman just made you know almost, you know, almost like almost eight hundred million dollars. I'm going to say almost a billion dollars, but I guess two hundred million dollars in change is more than almost. But a shit ton of money, of real money, off of a movie. <laughs> and yeah. yes, there was a massive marketing spend in there, but that will be partially offset by ancillary markets. Um, but real money. And yeah. that's exciting. There's going to be a Batman too. Great. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I feel like I'm running in circles with Netflix, but like Netflix not telling us if their stuff is making money it had the power flattening all of it. Like it's all content. It's all on the machine. It's all there right at the same time. You come to it when you want to. And you get Squid Game once in a while where something feels legitimately special, but it didn't exist for most of what went on in Netflix. And it sucked for a lot of the smaller movies that they picked up. And I think it sucked for smaller shows. And the idea of like us realizing that like releasing things in a certain strategic way and making them feel like events really is valued by people. That's really heartening, despite all the scary stuff here. Yeah, it goes back to the thing you were saying about everything everywhere all at once. Where like it helps that it's a masterpiece because it's also doing good. But it's like, yeah. that's what you needed to be to hit big at Netflix. You need yeah. to be like the thing people were talking about for a month mm-hmm. or you would just never be talked about again. Yeah. Yeah. But if you let more people like Daniels, you know, do their thing, uh, you know, with the modestly budget, mod- modestly budgeted film, but like really let their imaginations lead the way and let them tell their stories unencumbered and make them different enough that people have the opportunity to really respond to them and feel like they're seeing something that they can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It will allow more movies uh, of that quality to happen one and succeed too. So yeah, um, I really like the heart of they fall, but I don't think we would have talked about it for as long as we did if they didn't send me like fucking shot glasses and the soundtrack and, you know, like all mm -hmm. that shit. I also feel like we didn't, I like that movie too. I feel like we didn't really talk about it for that long. I mean, I don't really, I feel at least in my 
circle. I mean, with with Netflix, uh, with streaming stuff, it's so siloed off in terms of like who's talking about it and who's not. You don't know if something is playing well because there are no box office numbers. So if none of your friends are talking about it, um, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody else's friends are aren't. But my sense, and certainly in the context of the awards conversation, was that that movie did not really have much of a tail, um, even though it should have and deserved to have a larger one. Uh, we don't, we don't know. Everybody I know that's watched it has at least enjoyed it, but it's like, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. We don't, we, we don't know and therefore can't help it outside of the one anyway. week on the podcast. We all say we liked it. Well, and again, like the everything everywhere all at once example is like that movie is self-perpetuating. People are going to see it because people are going to see it. And that's something that cannot exist on the streaming setup they have now. Yep. Netflix. Go see movies, everybody. Yeah, Netflix is not going not gonna to do anything for you. As a matter of fact, they're going to crack down you for sharing your password, which they told you basically to do six years ago. So <laughs> fuck me, I guess. I have no earthly idea who might have my Netflix password. It could be... Sorry, Netflix, don't... I have no idea as my Disney... Who, like, actually, I was oh, going to say... because I'm usually me. Uh, no, no, that I know. But I'm usually the person who has the account and sharing it. But I swear I don't have a Disney Plus account. And yet there <laughs> it is on my Apple TV. And I signed into it. And the accounts are, like, Baby Yoda and, like, Little Sister. But not the Little Sister from... Or not, like, the Seventh Sister from Star Wars. It's, like, Baby Yoda and, like... Literally someone's little sister. I have no idea whose account it is, but I watched Turning Red on it the other night. Oh, nice. I mean, it's hard to tell because everybody who has a Disney Plus account has one avatar that's Baby Yoda, I feel like. So that doesn't, oh. doesn't help. Is that, an, is that a default? I hadn't really thought about it. My uh, Netflix avatar is Olivia Coleman on The Crown, which I just feel really speaks to me and uh, my personality. And they can't, yeah. take that up. they can't take that away from me. Or can they? Mm. Netflix on notice. <laughs> Prêt les enfants Oui capitaine J'ai pas entendu Oui capitaine Oh Well, this, this feeds directly into our previous conversation about people going back to movies, because I went to the movies twice in a single weekend. Twice in I a weekend! I have no idea when is the last time I did something like that, like outside of attending a film festival. Like, it may have been a full decade. Um, and the reason I did it is because I went and saw The Northman. Oh, sorry. What did you say, David? But I was going to say, like, the weird thing is that you took your kids to see The Northman and you went to see Bad Guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's exactly what I said to do. Um, yeah, we'll get to The Northman, and then on Sunday afternoon... Uh, it was hot outside. I had been up late the night before. I did not have it in me to do much. And I was like, you know what, guys? What if we go to the movies? Um, and Charlie, the older one, as I've talked about on the show, is the movie watcher. Like, he's the one you can sit down and, like, watch something. Uh, like, I told him what Everything Everywhere All at Once was about. And he's like, can I watch that? And I was like, no. But I appreciate you being interested. <laughs> um, and so he was all for it. His little brother, Sam, I kind of worried about being able to sit through something. And uh, true to form, uh, an hour into the bad guys, he started saying, can we leave? Can we leave? And I was like, no, but we're going to see what happens next. Um, but he made it through the whole thing. And we uh, we went to this incredibly cheap movie theater near me that I don't know how it is open. It's attached to a defunct mall. Uh, we spent twenty five dollars <laughs> total for three tickets and a popcorn and a drink and okay. a candy. Oh, all uh, right. I, I, pay, I paid for my children. <laughs> um, none of them have money. Mm. Um, Fucking yeah. freeloaders. 
yeah, the uh, <laughs> the the other or the bad guys did not pay for me to uh, buy this movie ticket. Um, but you know, the movie's fine. Like, I'm kind of curious about what you would want to hear about this movie. It won the box office weekend. I presumably because a lot of parents did exactly what I did and was like, let's do it. Let's give this a shot because it's extremely like low stakes, semi oceans, 11 E movie. Like it, it certainly would fit right in with like a Netflix original animated movie. Um, if you have not, uh, peruse the depths of Netflix kids content, there's a whole lot of shit on there. Um, but this is better than that. Like it's got voice performances from people who know what they're doing, like Sam Rockwell and Mark Marin, um, and Richard Iowati is this uh guinea pig who seems like he only wants to do good in the world. But uh <laughs> I was kind of using the movie to lean over to Charlie and be like, Hey Charlie, guess what? I think this is looking like this, but it's gonna be that. Um, maybe trying to teach him a little bit of like understanding how how film structure works. Um but I loved being able to take my kids to a movie and just like have Sounds that be nice. part of what's built into our weekend. Um, you have to get kids old enough to do it, obviously, and the right kids and the right movie. Um, but it made me uh, I, I understood why Sonic was doing so well already because Charlie has been asking to go see it. And we've been it basically just wasn't showing at the right time for me to pull it off on this particular Sunday. Um, but I think if, you know, movie theaters know that kids movies are one of the things that keeps them going. And the fact that my kids have seen like everything possible on Disney plus, et cetera. Uh, but still really got into a movie, uh, going experience that felt really, um, promising to me too. Well, is this Charlie's first movie? No, Charlie and I went to see toy story two, toy story oh, four right. and right, frozen right. two back in 2019. Um, but this is his first time back since the pandemic. I mean, he says he remembers going to the movies before, which he might, but it has certainly been a real long time. As someone whose child uh, will only watch The English Patient right now on yeah, home. As, I would uh, like to hear more about how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> I mean, because it was on TV and Asa was just like dazzled by the colors. And then he was like, I was like, Asa, this is The English Patient. And as soon as you say literally any combination of words uh, attached to something to a two-year-old, um, that becomes something that they fixate on. Mm -hmm. And so soon it was Juliette Binoche. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, the English patient, you know, he still says Fidelio and Eyes Wide Shut to make me laugh, even though he has no idea what they are. Um, kind of a kid after my own heart. But I'm still jealous of the idea of being able to take your kids to a movie. I'm sure Asa will reach that milestone You'll one day. But it, but it is interesting, Katie, that The Northman, which had a respectable debut uh, for um, what it is over the weekend, weirdly rose to be number one at the box office on Monday as mm -hmm. kids went back to school and uh, all the, the kids' movies at the top of the box office leveled out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think that's exactly talk, why. I guess we're going to talk about The Northman in the next segment. But um, Yeah. I mean, the like this, it's funny. Like, I've been a parent for a long time and I've been writing about movies forever, but, like, this is really my first interaction with, like, the economics of how kids' movies do. Um, and it just, it makes perfect sense as, like, you need something to do. You don't want to spend a ton of money. The movies are right there. And it's it's still an experience that you're not going to get at home in the same way. I mean, it ties into our conversation in the previous segment about the movies as sort of a destination that exists and can prosper outside of the streaming conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, they're really, you know, whether whatever you're putting on in front of the TV for your kids at home, it's still the same kind of experience. And it's a radically different thing to take them out of the house. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Often, you know, a, a really rejuvenating experience in some capacity or a really uh, 
uh, wearying one, as uh, the case can be, trying to get a two-year-old out of the house sometimes. But I mean, knowing that Sonic was full two hours long was another thing that uh, oh, made boy. me not choose that oh, one. Oh, man. Um, but oh, also, I mean, in terms is there of ex- that much Sonic story to tell? I don't know. I have and seen the first one. all that backstory. You gotta explain... You know how Sonic got the rings. Tails, Tails has, to, has to go. Has to go fast. I just wants I, to go fast. I do understand that going fast <laughs> is part of his whole thing. So I hope we get. And you got to tell your kids about that. how at first he had really janky looking teeth, mm-hmm. and they had to go back and back in my day he liked chili dogs and he was animated in two dimensions. There was a thing about Sonic liking chili dogs. Yeah, there was a Sonic and Tails animated series uh, in the mid '90s uh, to get off the games. Sonic Two was big, and uh, he really liked chili dogs. Well, I feel like that one's coming for us eventually. Charlie still does want to see Sonic Two, so I may have more to say there. Has he seen Sonic One? Yeah, some of it. I don't think I don't know if we watched the whole thing, but we've played the Sonic game, uh, like the old school Sonic game on the Apple TV. Mm. Um, so that is that's most of his Sonic knowledge. Sonic sounds great. Yeah. Um, one question about the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, does it look good? The trailer had me like it could go either way. Yeah, I actually would love for you to see it because there's like it feels like there are some efforts at like little bits of 2D animation where like clouds or smoke or something will kind of pop up in the background in a way that looks more like a Roadrunner cartoon than anything else. Yeah, um, this is DreamWorks Animations uh, post uh, into the Spider Verse. Launch. Yeah, I wonder like I wonder how animation professionals feel about that. Um and it, it becomes interesting in the background shots like the, the opening shot of the movie is a pulp fiction homage which surprised me too. Yes, that's also uh, the longest Disney or uh, Dreamworks animation animated shot ever. Oh, yeah, no that is surprising what, because 7 seconds. No, it's like a full like 3 minute like long take cuz it opens with them like sitting in a diner booth like just talking nonsense and then it like reveals that they're like everyone is cowering in fear of them in this restaurant. They don't like shoot people the way that they do in Pulp Fiction. Um, But in the background, like they're sitting, their window is like at an intersection where cars would be turning. So there's cars coming directly at the window that then turn at the last minute. And it's really interesting there. And it doesn't really get much more interesting after that. But I would, I would be, I would want to hear more of what you think about that style. Yeah, I got to check it out. I mean, the, if it, if it's at least not bad, then I absolutely want to check it out because it looks very interesting. Yeah, I mean do the character they play animation. The Billy Eilish song of the same name in the movie. What do you, What do you think? I think they do. Oh yeah, they I think they do. do. They absolutely do. <laughs> they also play that in Sing Two, so um, the Billy Eilish song "Bad Guy" has been getting a real workout. And yet, <laughs> Billy Eilish really pulling her weight along with Phineas for Turning Red. That's right. So you, wait, what made you watch Turning Red, David? Uh, you hadn't I seen was- it fucking exhausted and lying down on my couch and it was right there. So we um, had listened to Dave's insane review of it on this podcast and had to be you, like, you gotta see I, this I, shit. I have, to, I have to admit, I did not think about that once while watching the movie. I did think frequently about that viral tweet about the guy complaining, I guess it was from a YouTube review, complaining about how they don't talk about 9-11. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just watching it being like this would be such a perfect juncture for someone to be like hey remember when Speaking the World of Trade 9/11. Center was destroyed uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I watched Turning Red and my big takeaway from it was that the pop song that Phineas sings for Four Town was catchy as hell oh yeah that song um, is really good but that movie suffers from some pretty serious uh, need to for, I don't know what the disease is spectacleitis or whatever afflicts the third acts of movies that are way, way bigger than the movie uh, feels like it wants to be. 
but um, I yeah, enjoy it well, well enough. The first half is some of Pixar's strongest work. I would agree with the third act thing. I did not expect it to be a kaiju movie, but I feel like Dave liked that. <laughs> I did like it. Well, mostly because anytime animated hair is done well, like you might as well do a whole Monsters, Inc. piece. So I, I liked it. Make it big, big hair. Big, you know red, what, fluffy hair. You know what movie had big, red, fluffy hair? It was animated. Change your fate, I, Dave. Oh, God. Change your fate. <laughs> <sighs> Let's not do that again. <laughs> Uh, Turning Red's also a movie about mothers and daughters. They, uh, they got together. Oh, I want to talk about mothers and sons with the Northmen, though. Don't let me forget. Surely pronounce these things right. Here we go. Fjolnir. Fjolnir. But it's also Fjolnir. I feel like it's it's done, it's done both ways. Fjolnir. Oh, Fjolnir. Fjolnir. Dave Eggers is back. Robert Eggers Not is Dave back. No, no. I, 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 I no. corrected myself right after I said it. Maybe Dave Eggers is back. I don't know. He might be upset. Uh, Robert Eggers is back. And once again, making me cold with his uh, fantastic movies that are set in interesting places. This one is called The Northman. It is a Viking hamlet uh, that follows Alexander Skarsgård as Amleth. Uh, if you um, Wikipedia him and know that he is a, a mythological person that was probably a real person, but then became the basis for Hamlet. Uh, all of the historical drawings of him make him look very dandyish. Uh, that's not what Alexander Skarsgård's doing here. Here he is <laughs> no. a wall of meat that is uh, on an endless um, quest to save his mother, kill his uncle, and avenge his father, who was killed er earlier in the movie. You know the plot of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, hey, new Robert Eggers movie. I want to go in completely blind. Uh, and did, and it took me uh, like a, a good 15, 20 minutes to be like, ah, shit, this is just Hamlet. Uh, but then I was <laughs> I've on board. I've seen this already. I know what that's, what's going to happen here. <laughs> uh, luckily, the the movie is uh, looks amazing, whether or not the story has uh, surprises in the traditional sense. Um, and some pretty good performances from people taking big swings, I feel like. Uh, maybe all the way down to Bjork, who plays the seer, and it's great, but is only in it for like two minutes. Uh, I like the Northmen as a visual spectacle of what cinema can be. Was I hamstringed by not expecting Hamlet? Uh, do I think that uh, Anna Taylor Joy and Alexander Skarsgård don't necessarily have the chemistry for their uh, incredibly intense love? Uh, yeah, I think all those things could be true. Uh, I'm gonna say, like, this is a very solid B, B-plus movie for me, but there's something that is cold and emotionally distant from it uh, that I think is really accentuated by its sudden spurts of violence mm. uh, that sort of just, like, kept me at a distance. Uh, or just maybe the inevitability of it all, uh, which does seem to be, you know, moved by fate to a certain extent, but there's a part 
and the transition between the second and the third acts that it seems to just be uh Amleth um drives his uncle crazy by doing things in the night. Pranks. So, a lot of pranks. pranks. Lots of pranks. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> Do we I think we really have Hamlet and I guess by extension the legend of Amleth to blame for the bad rap that uncles have gotten for mm-hmm. you know, more than a millennia. Yes, definitely. Um yeah, it's it's a tough break. I mean, I I also have a problematic uncle. I mean, it happens. I am an uncle. I'm trying to to you know right the wrongs of the last a thousand years. No. Um, but uh, um, what was I going to say? Uh, this is a movie. I had something else to say that wasn't about uncles, and it even wasn't about Bjork. Well, I mean, we'll I think I think this movie does a good job that by the time you get to the end of it, you're with Amleth, but you've also seen. Oh God! How do we say his name? Fjolnir. Oh right. Sorry, I just uh, I was going to say Dave as someone who famously yeah hates a movie about changing your fate. <laughs> did you did you appreciate that this is a story? And I and I hope this isn't much of a spoiler. I mean, I don't really feel like this is a story that really hangs on its twists and turns. Maybe save for one that we don't need to get into, but. Um, that it's a story about someone who isn't changing their fate despite having multiple embracing his fate. So it's yeah, all about but also the it's not glory like... of embracing your fate. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I do like that aspect of it. Uh, but I think uh, it's those same issues are done like much more interestingly if they're like slightly vague, like a green knight sort of situation where it's like, I I'm going to prove my honor because really Amleth and, uh, Deb Patel don't have that much or Sir Gwen, uh don't have that much in uh, or have a lot in common in the sense that their externally placed honor binds them even in decisions that should be their own and where the Green Knight gets to sort of play with that uh, the Northman's on rails and it's beautiful rails mm-hmm. with some fantastic cinematography but absolutely rails and there's maybe one point where both Amleth and us as the audience are asked, maybe something can be a different way, and it has gone very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the the I think this movie wants you to have thrills in now I'm going to watch him do it, and that part is very you know exciting and motivating, but I do think it it draws on uh, a little too long when we really want to get to the showdown at some point about halfway through. But I do love this movie for the reason that it doesn't compromise its integrity to fit modern, modern sort of idea. I mean, nothing I think Robert Eggers ever makes is going to compromise its period integrity. But mm-hmm. I think that it doesn't, uh, I mean, it's a very fetishistic approach to historical detail, but I think that it doesn't compromise the integrity of its story for the demands or expectations of a modern audience. It is really rare to see a movie, really any movie made these days, but certainly one of this size, that forces you to reckon with the events of its story from the perspective of someone in a different world in a different time period and to see things on their level rather than sort of um, bend to meet you where you are here in the present day. It's not a movie about, uh, 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 what the fuck is his name, Amleth adopting a perspective that more closely mirrors our own and our moral code, but rather one that is so entrenched in um, the, the the sort of here and now of what it was like to be a Viking prince uh, in in the early 900s um, that it eventually forces us to meet it on 
its terms and find rather than you know, the decisions that he makes about you know where he wants to go and if he wants to change his fate or not, rather than to leave the movie feeling like I, I don't understand why he did that because it's not what I would have done. We end up thinking, or at least I did, like, okay, that's not what I would have done, but I completely understand why it was in character for him and it was valoric for him, of uh, valorous for him. The word is not a word that I have most reason valorous? to use about myself. Felt valorous. I have a reason to use about people very often these days. Um, but, uh, you know, there's valorous for him, even if it seems uh, unwise to us, or maybe like, a, you know, the, the, that he was not making the, the best decision for him and some of the other people in his life. Um, oh, no. And I think that's really interesting. I was struck by something that my colleague Richard Lawson wrote in his review of this, though, that like it's not like anything in this movie is being like, oh, my God, look at how crazy he is. Like you were saying, David, like it meets it where it is. But like the act of choosing to tell this story feels in some ways like Robert Eggers being like, Jesus Christ, like this is what we do. And the men will literally go stalk that their uncle on a volcano instead of go to therapy. Um, yeah. It doesn't have that modern speak, but it, it it did make me think about that as I was watching it. And I don't think in a way that took me out of it, but just made me be like. This is the foundation of our society. This is how we got to where we are. This is how shit used to get worked out. Why did why is this the world that we have built for ourselves? And I think to that point, Katie, like the great project of Robert Eggers film career is about bringing that kind of integrity to the stories of the past and sort of dislodging us from this idea of we are so much more civilized than people were back then by restoring the reality of being in those times by making a movie about Puritans who um, that allowed us to appreciate their very real fear of the occult um, by making a movie about being uh, a wiki in a lighthouse in the middle of fucking nowhere that sort of understands in its bones that degree of isolation um, and the stir craziness that can result from that. And now making a movie about Vikings that that sort of appreciates in a real way that it, that goes to the marrow of the morality of the film, what it was like to be a part of a sort of medieval culture that saw the legends and the gods and to a certain degree um, and their fates really as being as real for them as the wind is to us or you know, mm-hmm. like the, uh, or climate change or whatever the fuck else. Um, and I think, you know, by doing that, it allows for there to be a lot of crazy shit that makes you gasp. And there's even a shot of like a I don't even know how I've really struggled how to describe it, like human centipede as a deer, um, like the human. <laughs> oh, deer Jesus repeat. Christ. Oh, my um, God. But like, and so like there's crazy shit in here and I think the movie knows that it's crazy shit and it's not so stoic that it's passing it off. I mean, it's a movie that never winks at you in stark contrast, like the Marvels of the world, but does have a sense of humor. But I think that like, because it's so true to the perspective of its time, it is able to get away with crazy shit without posing about it. Well, yeah, I mean, you get the opening where you've got like Willem Dafoe and Ethan Hawke like barking each other like dogs in a like smoke room. I don't know. What's the word for? I don't know what the word is. Um, and it's ridiculous and silly and it kind of like embraces the like that as a bonding ritual. Like the people within this movie are capable of having a sense of humor and like and letting loose even if we don't see that much of it. And I feel like that does a really important job of like setting the the tone of what's going to come. I appreciate what you guys are saying, but I feel like it's completely different when like in The Witch, uh, the, they interact directly with prophets who do some like crazy ass shit in this movie, which undercuts the idea that we have any control over our fates, which I think is what David, you're saying it could be playing with. And maybe it is. And it just didn't work for me because it doesn't have a stark. This is real. This isn't real. This is delusion. It's much more lighthousey in that fact. But that's actually what I liked about the witch is like at the beginning, you're like, which is fucking real. 
So these people may look like paranoid and Puritan to you and based on your understanding of it, but that witch turned that baby into like churning butter. We mm. saw that happen. Uh, so the fact that we very quickly hear, like it's, it's not so much that the ritual with his father and uh, the fool, uh, played yeah. by Willem Dafoe, uh, rang false to me. It's that he suddenly fights like an undead shadow creature at one point. Uh, and I'm just supposed to be like, yeah, that's what he needs to get his like mythical sword. But by me seeing it and not having me being told he needs to find the mystical sword by whatnot, I'm able to see like it's a little bit fantastical. I don't think the movie perspective shifts like that. I think it's just beautiful, but it's distant the entire way through. So for me, narratively, it's confusing to be like, look at these people embracing their fate, you know, as like a choice and because it's real to them. And I'm like, it is real. It's real to me. I saw it. I saw Eilis Bjork push push gigantic meat wall Alexander Skarsgård back with her mind <laughs> and the power I mean, of words. I mean, a few things. One, he what a gigantic meat wall. I mean, like that yes. that is a beautiful way of describing it. The character is not just a gigantic meat wall, but he's like hunched over with hatred. It's like almost like, you know, like, like bent over, doubled over in half. There's one scene um, where, like, you see his, like, shoulders and they, like, are at his ears. Like, just the muscle is so large that it is that high up. It's uh, kind of alarming. It made my yeah, he has hurt. no neck in this movie and it yeah. is actually terrifying when you see it. Because mm-hmm. he's, yeah, just a wall of wall of meat. Um, and, uh, yeah, his wall of meat is coming at you 100 miles an hour. Um, actually, not all that fast. He is really deliberate in, in his slow movements he's, and I think he's deliberate scene, berserking he takes yeah, his time I mean, to his, plot his revenge that's for sure he sure <laughs> does and then it's so long that it kind of gets away from him before bjork uh, as she has done for so many of us myself included <laughs> mm-hmm. appears to him in his darkest moment and sets him on the right path mm-hmm. um but uh she i mean there the, dave was talking about the movie being on rails and that is um part of its aesthetic i mean there is that long take one of several but in the the raiding scene um, where they attack that village that starts with them catching a javelin um, in midair, where they are, there's something so uh, unstoppable and deliberate about that their movement, the way they sweep through that village, um, just sort of spreading their barbarism. It's really uh, visceral and grabbing and doesn't really need to work that hard to impress you because it just sort of lets its momentum take, it, uh, take its course. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, um, the, it is there is an element of it being cold and distant. I don't think Robert Eggers is going to ever make anything that's sort of openly sentimental or even warm. Dave, you mentioned being cold. Uh, I don't know well, I'm cold in all of his movies. Which cold? Lighthouse fucking freezing the entire mm-hmm. time. It, you know, he's never going to make cold. A, he's, I don't know if he's ever going to make a movie set in the present day. Um, as much as I laugh at the idea of his next movie being like a Hugh Grant rom-com, yeah. about like a flustered book publicist or something. Yeah. But um, I do wonder if he's ever going to make a movie set in the summer. Uh, that would be a real turn of pace for him. But I, you know, it, I, I felt that emotional depth. I know that some, some of our people, some of our friends, some of our people, some of the people we know were really moved by it. This is one of those movies where I sort of clocked early on that the emotional connection wouldn't be the real uh, thing that's sort of harnessing me into the experience and felt permitted to look for that attachment in other ways mm. um, and to sort of engage with it in a more physical or uh, sort of purely ideological level. Um, and uh, it really enjoyed it on that front and was just sort of like carried along by the sheer muscularity of the storytelling. Um, 
I don't know if I needed to feel a twinge of emotion when certain choices are made at the end. Um, I did laugh at a shot of Meatwall belly flopping into a water because it makes sense to me that a 10th century Viking would not have really good diving form. Yeah, wouldn't know um, how to dive. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't have a really good a great base meme. to get a lift. It is a gigantic yeah, yeah, wall yeah. of meat. <laughs> um, uh, a floating meatball. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, I agree with Dave that it's like not the most emotionally engaging movie ever made, but that was not, it's not something I need from every movie and certainly not one that stopped me from enjoying this film. No, yeah, I agree I, with that. It didn't stop me from enjoying it, but like, I don't want to compare it to The Green Knight because they're different movies with different goals. But I saw them in like the same circumstances at the same theater, like very late at night where I was like, oh, God, am I going to stay awake? And I stayed awake for both. But kind of the mystery and the like, there is an emotion in The Green Knight, even if it's not sentimental in any way of just like figuring out who you are and what to do. And what Dave is saying about the story of the North and being on rails, I think really hits for me is like, he's going to do the thing and then he does the thing and there's a lot of spectacle and there's a lot of like stuff to look at and be engaged in and I do maybe we do need to like get into spoilers because I want to talk about um, a lot of stuff that happens in the third act and when Nicole Kimmons character really gets involved um, but it's not a I don't feel like I'm on a journey with anybody I'm kind of like watching it from a from a distance like like what Dave was saying from a distance uh, yeah. okay yeah we can go into into spoilers should we get into, get into spoilers yeah, alright so spoiler gong uh, um, go for it, Katie. I love a bonkers Nicole Kimmon monologue. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I said before that I want to talk about mothers and sons in movies because uh, it's obviously a topic of interest for me. But I was thinking about, uh, you know, Sarita Chowdhury's character in The Green Knight and then um, and Rebecca Ferguson in Dune. And now Nicole Kidman is like the evil version of all of those. Um, just bring bring me more powerful witchy mothers uh who have fucked up their sons uh in pop culture i think i think they deserve representation and um i, I want to aspire to be the non-fucking up version version of those i think there are a few things about nicole Kidman's character in this movie that you may not want to emulate no? for your no. sons uh but um her hair isn't one of them no oh my god <laughs> Girl can dream. Uh, yeah i mean i thought that was a real that was a real moment that gave you the um, sort of like, oh shit, like this uh -huh. is crazy WTF kind of thrill without having to betray the its source material um, mm -hmm. and allowed it sort of have its cake and eat it too. And I appreciated that for that. And it also allowed Amleth to do more than sort of like Hulk and Grunt and gave him a few a little bit more dimension and, for, yeah. and you know, confronted him with the question of whether or not he, he wanted to change his fate because his fate wasn't quite as clear as uh, it may have seemed to him. But um yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. Uh, I just, I mean, my first thought actually, just talking about the stuff, is is nothing to do with spoiler territory. Can I take it back to Bjork for a hot second? Or oh yeah. We... Oh my god. Yeah, sure. Um, go ahead. I, I, I mean, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what Bjork was going to do in the movie, so maybe it is best to treat this as a spoiler. Or like, you, you don't want to know too much. <laughs> I mean, I, as someone who I, I guarantee you more than any single person listening to this show, um, was personally invested in Bjork's return to movies. Uh, after what was it, 22 years since Dancer in the Dark? Um, I uh, I did not feel like I really needed much of a spoiler warning. I was very prepared for the fact that she was only going to be in this movie for a hot minute. And um, where even though the that was still enough to earn year, her. for sure. Yeah, well, no, so there will be no topping it. I mean, to that to that point, I was tasked with helping put together for IndieWire this article that's sort of like a primer for for the various aspects of the Northmen. And one of the things that I naturally claimed for myself was writing about Bjork's character. And just in like the 30 minutes that I spent digging into 
uh, the reasons behind why she doesn't have eyes. She has cowrie shelf's eyes and why she's wearing this sort of like wheat black headdress um, and why she is appearing in front of the a church that represents a certain cultish God um, and a certain religious order. I mean, the, the, and I say this as someone who's not always particularly keen to do sort of extracurricular digging to get the most out of their movies, but Robert Eggers' movies are so well-researched and so detail-oriented that it really, truly enriched my appreciation for the movie as a whole and certainly Bjork's role in it to do a little bit of digging. And I don't care if you read that article on IndieWire, although I think we did a good job, or source your own information, but I, I it do your is, own research you enjoyed, for your, for your <laughs> yeah, Oh boy, that always works out for everyone. Um, <laughs> but if you, if you enjoyed The Northman or enjoyed it just enough that you feel like you could be pushed one way or the other, by reading a little bit more, I'd really encourage you just to read into some of the context around the history, why it's set in the year that it is, what it meant for the Viking people around that time, what their expansion westward into the North Atlantic was like, what informed some of the costume decisions. I mean, it just allows you to appreciate so much more of the texture of the movie that he was able to make, um, how it sort of accommodated the Shakespearean twists um, that it has. I mean, obviously paving the way for, for Hamlet, but um, and all of those things, I mean, it's just becomes a sort of new more nuanced experience it allows you to imagine what he would have dug into if he had gotten to make a sort of four-hour version of this movie um Did and you want sort to of make a four-hour version of this movie no but like there's definitely a lot that had to be I, I i don't put too much stock in those stories about him having to make it more theatrical i i think you know i talked to him before he was shooting this movie and he was telling me his ambition about making something a little bit more commercial i don't think he was opposed to having people buy tickets and see this movie um but i do think you know, even just looking at Katie Dickey, who's a great actress uh, who was in The Green Knight. There's some connective tissue mm. um, who has like maybe zero lines in this movie. Uh, it, it gives me a sense that there were definitely, as there are with many movies, a, a lot of uh, material left on the cutting room floor. And I think some of that material may not have moved the story along, but would have allowed you to sort of sink into the details of this world a little bit more. And I guess part of what I'm saying is that 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 joy, that pleasure the texture can still be had based on what made it to the, into the theatrical cut you may just have to go online and do a little bit of digging to understand more about what you were looking at and why it's there but this is the rare case where i feel like that turns out to be really rewarding interesting so like when i uh, saw your fucking rules oh my god your fucking rules i don't know if she's ever going to be in a movie again who cares i mean really, i don't care but really like, what a way, what a way a to favor. go the only thing that could have made it better um is if she had written an original song for like the end credits, like some bullshit Oscar, you know, nominee song. I mean that just, you know, not only a new Bjork song, always a good thing. B could have had another Bjork dress, always a great mm -hmm. thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, C could have had a makeup chance to win the Oscar that she deserved. Um, but you know, maybe we'll have a new Bjork album soon. But anyway, it was, uh, it did my heart a lot of good to see her back on movie screens. It really is just the role she was born to play. It's so good. I mean, she may not even know that she was in this movie until they told her, like, mm -hmm. the night before the premiere. And yeah, she, she was, was like, just, oh, what an honor to be She was just, she was just wearing that, show. and she showed up on set, and that was all it took. They were like, you know, I am, Robert Eggers was like, I am a stickler for details, but everything you're wearing is uh, exactly period <laughs> appropriate for yeah, a, good, a no, like Slav witch. So, like you uh, knew you were a Norn the whole time. <laughs> I mean, Dave, you would not discourage anyone from going to see The Northman, I assume. No, absolutely not. And I hope it does what David's talking about, where much like me watch, watching The 13th Warrior led me to read Eaters of the Dead, you know, like, anywhere you get into Viking, Viking culture, I 
do believe it's interesting. And as I tried to start out with, this movie's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Uh, across the board. Uh, place, character movement, uh, just uh, knowing exactly what it's doing and how it's shooting it. Love it. If anything, it's just a little slow for my, my normal, uh, let's sit down and watch a movie uh, in a way that uh, neither The Witch or Lighthouse played for me. Both of those felt like a little bit more urgent. That's not bad. I, want... just, I really thought you just called it The Witcher for a second. And I realized you said The Witch or, but yeah. not to be the witch, As not to be I. confused with The Witcher. Just <laughs> not to be confused with The Witcher. Yeah, don't don't go to The Witcher expecting it to be a, a Eggers production. It is. <laughs> it is not. Uh, this. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful movie. I loved watching it, and I love that it made me cold. Uh, I just think that I didn't get. The depth that David got out of it, but also maybe because I didn't do any reading afterwards outside of, wait, this is Hamlet? And maybe that's the wrong uh, thing to Google after you see this movie. I had just um, seen the Lion King stage production, so I was very prepared oh for the plot of Hamlet. Yeah, Dave, did you have the same experience watching The Lion King in 1984 <laughs> where you're like, oh, this is fucking Hamlet? I knew it. No, oh, the- not at that point. At that point, it was probably like I reread Hamlet in college. It was like, wait, this is the Lion King. Yeah, the moment, it, moment I think in high school when I read Hamlet, I was like, oh shit. Was, uh, I felt very smart when I figured that out. I've got it. <laughs> not all uncles, just uncles based on this one specific Danish myth that's been handed down <laughs> for centuries. Um, I, I will say that, uh, man, my, my train of thought has been derailing constantly. Tonight, um, Bjork, Robert Eggers. Oh, yes. Uh, Robert Eggers is best I understand it. And I, I may be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit conjecture based on you know, Hollywood rumor and whatnot. But as far as I understand it, his next movie was going to be a riff on Nosferatu, Nosferatu starring Harry Styles. And the reason, and this is the part that, I, that could be a little bit conjecture driven. Uh, as far as I understand it, the reason why the movie is not happening is because Harry Styles had to or decided to drop out to focus on uh, his next album and the whole movie fell apart as a result. Um, if that is the case, no pressure, Harry Styles, but your next album better be fucking great. But, I mean, because he's on a good run. I got faith in Harry Styles, but yeah, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, 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 water, I wouldn't trade any one of Robert Eggers' movies for Watermelon Sugar. I know <laughs> that might put me in the minority, but... Uh, <laughs> Did Harry Styles act in something and was very good that I just didn't see? Uh, he's no, in Dunkirk he's... and fine. Uh, but oh, yeah, I, don't know I, if I saw that. And, and... I don't know if you've seen his stage performances, but he's very charismatic and good looking. So mm. uh, that can take you far in this world. And it's just and, there's, it's very you know, small amount of people that could be both somebody Marvel wants to be involved with and at the center of a future Robert Eggers. Well, no I forgot Maybe. he was in. Is he in Eternals? Is that the one? He is. Yeah. He's the, at the um, end of Eternals. He, forgot all about he that. He is also in Olivia Wilde's uh, sexy sci-fi oh, whatever movie that's uh, oh, coming out. Um, and, uh, maybe, I mean, I think he seems like a good bet to studio executives to begin with, but maybe they're hearing strong things about his performance in that. Um, the guy's got presence. I'll give him that. But, uh, he's in that he video from Coachella duetting yeah. with Shania Twain. Sure, sure, um, sure. That well, now that I've, now that I've figured out Harry Styles, someone gets to tell me who Bad Bunny is and why he's playing a <laughs> Spider-Man villain. Bad Bunny <laughs> is our new biggest movie star. Um, uh, but if, uh, if, if indeed... He is the reason why we will not get to see Robert Eggers' dream project, Nosferatu. I will probably hold it against him for a hot minute. Um, and the Northman did nothing to make me less excited at the prospect of a Robert Eggers Nosferatu. Maybe he'll so, uh, win an Oscar uh, for a we'll Libby Wells movie and then get it made. You never know. 
Maybe. Putting it out there. And we also have Nick Cage's Renfield coming up, so don't you worry about that Dracula's. We're, we're bouncing back after Morbius really fast. It'll be fine. Uh, that does it for this week's show. Next week, somewhat TBD. It might be the Battle of the Daves. Uh, Patches might come back. You never know. Um, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Uh, I am the first to go. I am <laughs> David Ehrlich. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. Um, you, if someone, if someone wants to suggest a new Twitter bio for me in uh, on our iTunes reviews. I would seriously entertain any suggestions, especially not hostile or unkind ones that come in. For years, my Twitter profile had been a quote from Megyn Kelly's Fox News show where they pasted my tweet into a one of their nightly broadcasts. And it was something about Justin, uh, Justice Scalia yeah, dying. Yeah, not even and death said that, could conjure yeah, respect Not even from death him. could conjure respect from him, which <laughs> I, I love dearly for obvious reasons. But having to attribute something to Fox News in my profile, I started to feel like maybe people taking a quick glance at it might get the wrong idea. Um, and it's been a while. Time to move on. Maybe to something a little bit more cryptic. I don't know. That seems to be kind of the rage these days. Uh, I'm a big fan so, of my uh, I agree it's great to be fine, which is a tribute to you dorks. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a really spectacular Twitter bio, and I have half a mind to copy it. I think the, the placeholder that man. I set in for the moment is that I once shook hands with David Strathairn, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Uh, well, why don't, why don't you do like a champion of that poker turn, that one poker tournament you won? Well, I don't know. I mean, in reality, I was eliminated by Celine Dion's late husband. Eliminated um, by Celine Dion's late husband. <laughs> and, and it's, <laughs> it's weird. Good. It's weird because I did in like the three seconds I spent thinking about this before we started recording tonight. I did entertain the idea of going with eliminated by Renee Angelou. From <laughs> but I, I thought that, that was this, not quite right. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, what you won't get, the dirt you won't get on Twitter that you can only find from listening to Fighting in the War Room is that I shook hands with David Strathairn, not uh, in the pretext of my current job, but when I sold him a computer at the 14th Street Apple Store in a mm. previous life, <laughs> and he could not have been lovelier. We spent an hour talking about nothing. I didn't let him know that I knew who he was and that I've been a massive fan since I saw The River Wild when I was seven years old. But uh, he could maybe sense it in my eyes. Um, what a lovely and perceptive man. Um, anyway, uh, now that I've made that my per- Twitter profile, he will surely be canceled tomorrow. And Ooh, I yeah, will have to. Those, those older white men, um, you gotta be careful. But if you have any better ideas, uh, the more inexplicable, the better. Send them our way. Go on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review about that or anything else. And we'll read it live on the show. Uh, and Dave, take us, yeah. take us to the next, whatever we do next. Yeah, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email the podcast, your international reviews, or just general things at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can hear me uh, with friends of the show, Joanne Robinson and Neil Miller, on the Trial by Content podcast every Tuesday. This week, uh, we talked about the best... uh, performances by actors playing themselves in honor of the unbearable weight of massive talent uh vote malkovich and uh yeah uh i'm katie rich you can find me at vanity fair and on the little gold men podcast where we talked about netflix some more this week you can hear me talk about it and a lot of television 
Uh, we'll talk about television maybe soon. There's a lot of good ones out there. A lot of good TVs. Uh, yeah, I, I just got a great new TV. It's phenomenal. <laughs> My first 12 years. Yeah, congratulations. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would love to hear what you love David Strathairn from. Um, maybe that will keep him from getting canceled. I'm sure he's a lovely man. Let's keep it going. Uh, or you can answer this or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was In honor of memory, who is your favorite hitman of cinema? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.